Hello and welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 34, Rock of Ages from 2012. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And Mike, to celebrate tonight the fact that I have now seen every single Tom Cruise movie. This was the last one on my bucket list. Boy, did I go out with a bang. Man, oh man. We have with (laughs) us the co-hosts of the Contenders podcast. We have with us Tobin and Aislinn Addington. Hello, guys. Hello. I don't know if you were prepared for me to introduce you together. I don't know. (laughs) I sort of sense the hesitation. You're waiting for the musical cue. I don't know if they thought they might have to sing. This is your duet. This is your your time to shine. Well, I have to say, uh, sadly, this this is marks the end of the Contenders podcast because it's Island's fault. I had to watch this movie. Mm. Um, (laughs) So you're you're watching the the disillusion of our uh, partnership here before your before your ears of your siblinghood. Yes. Yes. So what does that have to say for our friendship? I think like Well we'll 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 get into that, I guess. But I so here's the backstory of this episode was that when we when we sent out feelers for who wanted to sign up for what, Eisen signed up for this movie. Now Eisen, why did you sign up for this movie? Is this one that you had seen before that you would wanted to see it? Why did you sign up for Rock of Ages? I signed up for it because it's a musical. Okay. And because like the cruise of it all is so ridiculous. Sure. Okay. (laughs) I'm not a fan of him as a human. Okay. And so I wanted to talk about a movie where the dis- my disdain for the character matched my disdain for the human. Now, had you seen this movie before, or you were just assuming you were going to hate him based on the Stacey Jacksness of it all? <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm not sure if I saw the whole thing, but okay. I certainly screened it while one of the times my mother was watching it. She's a big fan. Oh, okay. Wonderful. One of the, one of the times she was watching it, so she's seen this. Oh, most yeah. She right. was, well, I told her today that we were recording this. She was so excited. Eisen signed up for it, and Mike and I were like, you know, we want to get the Addington's together again. It's mm-hmm. fun to record with the two of them. We don't really have the opportunity to do so. Let's make Tobin watch Rock of Ages. And so then months, I told, I think I told Tobin and then months went by and I was like, hey, are you guys ready to record Rock of Ages? And Tobin was like, oh, I didn't sign up for that movie. And I was like, oh, no, I know you didn't, but we recruited you. And so <laughs> here he oh. is to talk about Rock of Ages. Yeah, this was not you. Oh, this was Iceland. Iceland. Still- it was mostly, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a not entirely matter. my fault. No, it sounds like it's much more Joey's fault than yours. I will take yeah. all of the credit because i'm the going to say the blame <laughs> i i adore this movie yes stop oh it my, yes. oh my god yes it, yes, it, yes yes i don't think no. it's good but i love it oh joey you don't know i was my i was on pardon me i have to go take off my cage club t-shirt oh fine <laughs> i mean i Man, oh man, I was so scared, man. Once you said you saw my review well, and you, you thought it was you, insane, you, you freaked me out with your five star letterbox review. And then from the beginning, okay, so okay, it's a juking box. Let me do a plot summary first before okay. I get into it. Before Mike and I basically, I guess, talk to each other for an hour while Island and Tobin <laughs> silently stew in the corner, here's what the movie is about. So it's based on a musical, uh, a juking box musical. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that a real word? And do you have no. a definition? It sounds like something the Simpsons jukebox made musical up. is a real word. Jukebox musical, but a juking box musical is what Paul F. Tompkins as Andrew Lloyd Webber calls oh. this type of musical. Uh, a jukebox oh, musical. Oh, yes, a yeah. jukebox musical is one where songs are not written for the movie; they repurpose existing songs. Got it. And so this is a juking box musical. The movie opens, like the literal, the first thing you hear is the crowd chanting, stay, see, stay, see. And I was like, oh, I'm already on board. Like that's from the, from frame one on board. 
Tom Cruise singing Paradise City. We opened in 1987. Julianne Huff playing Sherry Christian heads from Oklahoma to Los Angeles to follow her dreams singing on a bus, Sister Christian. Meanwhile, this guy who I don't know, who I've seen in things probably, plays Drew Boley, who works for nope, Rockwell Brand. But no, you haven't seen him. He's not in things? I don't think so. I looked yesterday. He felt like he did this on stage to me. Like they grabbed right. one of the yeah, people I think from like the actual cast and this was him. Diego Bonita. <laughs> so he's been in, he's in the new Terminator movie. Oh, oh he's he the, the new brother. Terminator? He's the brother. Oh, he's the brother. Got it. Okay. And then he's in Before I Fall, which I love. That's the uh, Groundhog Day movie with Zoe Dutch, but I don't know who he is in that movie. But yeah, he's not a he's not a star. Like this feels like this should have been the guy, like the lead, kind of from Pitch Perfect. Like that's the kind of oh yeah, like Seth. Uh, or, or, you know, oh, sure. oh boy, yeah, right. That's a whole other movie. Then that's a whole other movie. So then, Stacy Jacks, Tom Cruise is going solo. His band Arsenal is about to play its final show at this place called the Bourbon Club, and that's the rock club that Russell Brand is the manager of that Alec Baldwin owns. Brian Cranston. This is so filled with stars. Brian Cranston oh, is elected mayor. His wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, vows to clean up the strip. Uh, we later find out that she was a Stacey Jacks groupie, and this is her trying to hide her past. And in the end, in the final song and dance number, she is dressed like Rob Halford in Judas Priest, rocking out in all fun and glory. Tom Cruise then emerges from beneath a pile of women tattooed with a bedazzled dragon, I think, thong. He kind of goes away. Sherry and Drew fall in love. He apparently writes Don't Stop Believing for her, sings it for her underneath the Hollywood sign. Malin Ackerman shows up as a Rolling Stone journalist. Tom Cruise and Malin Ackerman have sex. Drew thinks that his girl, that Sherry and Stacy have sex, and so they start fighting. Then they go their separate ways. She becomes a stripper. He joins a boy band. They're both miserable. On the night of Stacy Jax's first solo show, his boy band is supposed to open for them. Things go terribly wrong. They reconnect. They sing Don't Stop Believing." Cut to the end. Everyone is happy. They're singing Don't Stop Believing" on the Stacy Jax, but now it's Arsenal. The band has gotten back together. And they're on the worldwide tour, and things are good for everyone. And that's the movie. It's just a story of a small-town girl living in a lonely world. (laughs) It's basically like, yeah, every cliche rock song premise jammed into one movie. (laughs) Wonderfully done. movie Movie in quotes, maybe? at times but so now before mike and i spend a lot of time talking about what we like i there's got to be something in here even if it's just a character or a moment or something you can't have hated the entire thing so tobin please share with us your favorite moment from rock of ages i feel like this is gonna be the most difficult question you have all night but what is your favorite part of this movie this is actually not the most difficult question uh i think one performer and one performer only escapes this movie with their dignity intact. That person is Mary J. Blige. Okay. I think it feels like (laughs) she she Mm -hmm. wandered in from some other movie and is playing some part in some other movie and retains her dignity, strutting straight through this movie and out the other side. And everyone else is left smoking in the in the wreckage. As the proprietor of the strip club wherein Julianne Huff gets a job as a cocktail waitress, not a stripper. All right. I will not argue that point with you at all, Tobin. One of the things I find most charming about this film is how incredibly miscast like every single person seems to be, maybe except for Cruz. I see. You know, she definitely uh, knows what she's what she's doing here, as opposed to some other people might not exactly know where they are at times oh yeah there's things that are wildly off about this movie and that's fine but mary j blige does hold it down and she is i mean she doesn't have a huge part but she is consistent from start to finish and she does a really great job was there anything else about this movie that you like tobin i'm just trying to 
claw at grasps of positivity here before you uh, rail on it in our next segment. I mean, it looked expensive. Oh, that's, I love <laughs> that's a backhanded that's my, compliment. That's one of my. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I used to say that to Don all the time, Tobin. Like that is one of. My, I'm so happy you said that. It failed to recoup its 75 million dollar budget. However, it still had the seventh biggest opening all time for a musical. So that just says something about the genre, I guess. That it's like it's not a very profitable genre. It's not one that makes a lot of money. Or maybe the the moral is. Don't make $75 million musicals? I don't know. I guess there's a lot of lessons to be learned here. There's a lot of, yeah, there's tons of lessons to be learned here. I mean, just with like the, you know, I can understand like liking this type of music, but not what they did to it. Like, that's another shocking thing to me is how they mashed up. Yeah, that's the other part, right? Is that fans of this music are not fans of Rock of Ages, right? My mother is not a fan of this genre of music. <laughs> She's not a big poison head? the musical. <laughs> not to my knowledge. It's crazy because it's like the family-friendly rock and roll. Like, there's no devil. There's no drugs. I mean, there's plenty of sex and stuff, right? But it's like, you know, there, at one point, someone in the movie even goes like, all I need is like my rock and sex. And it's like, what's the other thing? It's like, I don't know. I'm like yelling at the screen. I'm like, the drugs. Like, they, <laughs> you know, it's just... I don't know. I just find like how incredibly watered down it all is, is like why is part of why I like it too. All right. Now, Eisen, what about you? What do you love about this movie? Is there something that you like? Is there something that you love? What is your favorite part of Rock of Ages? Um, I love musicals. Okay. Um, <laughs> Again, a nice backhand to compliment there, kind of. A, a, a I failed enjoy. Compliment. Here's what I have two things, actually. Okay. I really appreciate Julianne Huff for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One is that she is one of only a few um, celebrities trying to bring awareness to a really difficult disease called endometriosis, okay. which I also suffer from. Be- there just are not a, not, not a lot of people talking about it. There's not a lot of spokes folks. Um, and so I'm glad that she's spends some of her public time and energy trying to raise awareness about, about endometriosis. Not similarly, but Similarly off track, my other favorite part was watching them in the record store the first time they go to the record store and trying to understand Drew's face. Mm, And it it seemed familiar to me. And then it came to me. Tobin, remember the time that we were in the car outside the Bon Marche? And your next generation action figures started to melt slightly? In the car? Yes, I do remember that, of course. And so their faces just lost a little bit of definition. <laughs> he reminded me of that, and, and that's a great memory I have of, of us playing with Star Trek characters in the car. <laughs> so he's like the Bobo Zac Efron. Like, things are like a little bit off. Oh, like Bobo Bo Zac Efron. Bobo Bo. Bobo Bo 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 Nice. That scene in the record store is, is jarring. Like, it is... They're just like, hey, what's hap- What's happening? Suddenly burst into song. And then as soon as they're done doing that, he's like, yeah, I got stage fright. I'm like, what the hell? I don't know. I just lost my mind for other reasons, too. There's a stretch of this movie, and it's early on, where I was like, oh, we might not hear a single spoken line of dialogue this entire time. Like, the first, oh, yeah. like, 10 it's or 12 minutes like of this movie are 100% sung. And I was like, oh, this could be amazing. And it, it's not, but like, there's a lot of music. Like, it's not like they just burst into song here or there. It's like mm-hmm. every, every every time that they have the opportunity, 
to mash up a song or to sing a song, they take that opportunity. They do indeed. Those opening credits are just relentless. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes they are. <laughs> Mike, I do want to say that we have our Tom Tom crossover checked off here because Colin Hanks made that documentary about the rise and fall of Tower Records and oh. they're at Tower Records. And so this yeah. is the Cruise, not Tom Hanks, but Cruise Hanks connection in that they are in a Tower Records. Very nice. Right? I used to work at Tower Records, the only job I ever got fired from. Cool. What you, would you get fired for? <laughs> it wasn't even my fault, but I was accused of stealing, which I did not do. So hmm. I've cleared yeah, my what name. what were you accused of stealing? Like CDs and VHS tapes. And then when I was in the back room, they're like, well, you know, someone heard you talking about how easy it would be to steal from Tower. I was like... Yeah, that's what like everybody talks about all day working at Tower Records. But no one <laughs> actually was stealing anything. That was my <laughs> connection. <laughs> Mike, the time has come for you. What do oh, you boy. love about this movie? What is your favorite part of oh, Rock of Ages? God. Also, by the way, real quick, did you know this is yeah. produced by your boy, Toby Maguire? Oh, get the hell out I, of here. What the hell I is he doing? I saw that, yeah. I saw that in the credits and I was like, wait, what? Is that some kind yeah, of that like, track. he was doing Great Gatsby and he was like getting an itch for musicals and things and, you know, needed to... Stretch that arm. I don't know. That's weird. From all the way from Spider-Man 3 to Rock of Ages, the Tobey Maguire story. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, doing podcasts made me hate him as an actor. But uh, I might not hate him as much now because I know he's involved with this movie. No, like, to be honest, though, like, I understand this is not good at all, right? But, like, that is why I, I expected to just hate it for how bad it was. But somewhere along the way, I couldn't believe, like, the audacity of this movie at times and, like, the arrogance and it shocked me like it just kept blowing my mind like scene after scene the musical mashups mm -hmm. alec baldwin mm -hmm. i mean we haven't even mentioned alec baldwin well he hates this movie he hates oh, well, this he, movie he should I, but it, i love yes. it and, like, he's <laughs> he should amazing. be ashamed of himself like all this stuff is just like the perfect disaster you know and i i don't want to quantify or classify good or bad anymore when it comes to stuff like this like i just like it for what it is i guess or for what i can get out of it you know i like musicals i love rock operas and maybe that's the thing like this goes off the rails like a rock opera but tries to be tamer like a musical you know it just doesn't have the guts to be like phantom of the paradise or something or tommy even i can't pick like a single moment if i had to it would have to be Tom Cruise just like probably playing himself uh, or as close to how he sees himself in the real world as possible. But uh, there's just too much going on here to uh, for me to like pinpoint something. So I'll just sort of chime in, I guess, Joey, Okay. Uh, every now and then with something else I kind of liked about it. So here's some background about the movie. And so Alec Baldwin said he took the part because he wanted to act with Tom Cruise, but he has since renounced this movie, said it's awful, says he won't watch it. Um, he would then later go on to be in Fallout, too. So he's going to be in the second Tom Cruise movie. I'm sure one that he likes more than this movie. Um, he also It's also called, a, quote, a horrible movie. Okay. Not pulling any punches not, there. Not wrong. Well, yeah. You know. It is incredibly well made. You got to say that. Like, it is so. No, no I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think mean, looks expensive and as well made are different things. And you all know, yeah. I love some terrible movies. I am absolutely fine with separating film from movie or like good quality or any of that from things that I enjoy. I'm saying this movie is terrible and I did not enjoy watching it. Well, that's a bummer <laughs> because like, like I, I don't think it's good, but I also didn't mind that it was bad like i'm not offended by it but it sounds like you two might be and i want to know sort of like more about 
what about this like rubs you so wrong, maybe? Happy to. Okay. (laughs) I'd like to start with Tom Cruise. Go for it. It's about choices. It's about ego and choices. It's very similar to me to another musical. Um, Hairspray. Which this guy also directed. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love Adam Shankman. The second He's, Hairspray, right? The, the remake. The, the musical the, version. The yeah, Zach not the John Waters. Yes. Yeah. Traditionally on stage, the role of Tracy's mother was played by Harvey Firestein, and it was like a drag role. Mm-hmm. And that was part of it. Then John Travolta gets in there and he's like, I am playing this as a woman because it's important and she's a woman and blah, 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 blah. And he turns it into this whole thing about him. And it's not about the larger picture. Okay. And I feel very similar about what Tom Cruise did to this part mm. that was meant to have humor, was meant to wink a little bit. He chose to make it very much about him and what he was going to bring and his interpretation and the mirror of fame and like whatever the fuck else. And I don't know. I'm not in either world. So have you seen you've seen the stage production? I've, yes. I've okay. seen pieces of it. I've not gone to it live, but I've seen um, chunks of it. The first ever Stacey Jacks Chris was Chris Hardwick. Yeah. Yeah. What? Right. So, mm-hmm. which again, we're not going to get into that either. Right. It's so different. And I'm not saying he doesn't have the, he's an actor, he's an artist, he can make choices, he can do whatever. But I feel like in both of those instances, you see kind of the difference between the sort of stage, like the camaraderie of we're all putting on a show mm. versus here's my opportunity to play a rock star, regardless of what universe that rock star lives in. Yeah. So it, it was supposed to be satire? The Stacey Jacks character is supposed to be satire? In in the pieces I've seen. So please, yeah. fans, ring in here. But just in the way that this music is yeah. not meant to be corny, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, yes, there's a layer of irony in the whole that we're like, boppity boppity bop. With every rose has a thorn. Ah, huh. Yeah, that's so interesting because I was thinking like Tom Cruise doesn't do comedy, and this no, he does, and well, not he. Well, yeah, but it's not in his like wheelhouse, right? I don't. But this felt like a comedic. I'm agreeing with Island that like this did to me feel like it should have been more of a comedic role. Like we're poking fun at a guy like this, or he's poking fun at himself, but. I took it as Tom Cruise was like, no, I'm taking this, like, he's playing this role seriously. And I think that right. is a detriment indeed. Like, yeah. I, it, it could be an actual genuinely good movie if someone played that part right. I think that there's two things at play here. I think, number one, we're in a very interesting era in Tom Cruise's career, which we talked about in the, over the last four, five, six episodes, where he's taking the types of roles that he's never taken before, where he's mm. playing Les Grossman, the studio director, the balding, overweight you know, hairy, oversized forearms movie mm-hmm. part in Tropic Thunder. He's playing essentially Marco Rubio in that one movie, right? Like, he's doing all these movies that, like, he had been such a certain thing, basically from the time he literally ran on screen in Endless Love until, say, 2007-ish, right? So for, like, 25-plus years, he was one thing. And then I think as he was getting older, or maybe as he was getting bored or whatever, he has pivoted. And I think that we have covered, and we've, like, this is a very strange era in Tom Cruise's career. And I think recently, over the last, like, five years or so, 
he's kind of rebounded back to what he once was, just like an older version. But we are in a very strange time where he's doing things that he's never done before. And I think in that regard, it's fascinating. I also think that Mike and I love this movie because this is exactly the kind of thing that he and I have wanted Nicolas Cage to do from the very beginning. (laughs) Like We've wanted Mm -hmm. him to be in a musical (laughs) so bad, or a Western, but for me specifically a musical, that I don't Mm -hmm. think we're ever going to get that. But like this is exactly the Mm -hmm. kind of thing where we're like, oh, yeah. Like I didn't even know that I didn't know this existed. I didn't know to what extent anything happened here, but I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for from Cage and know that I will never get. That all said, if he had played it more comedically, it might have been better. But I also think that other actors, and this is coming from me who knows nothing about the original or any other version of this other than Chris Hardwick played the Stacey Jacks role. But it seems like everyone is kind of playing it a little bit too seriously. And is everyone supposed to be a little comedic? Like, is it supposed to be funny across the board to an extent? Or is everybody supposed to be serious and then he's the one that we're lampooning? That's a good question, too. Like, I could tell you, I know Paul Giamatti knows what movie he's in, right? I mean, when he, <laughs> yeah. like, I can't even believe. If like, he, he doesn't, his mustache thing. does. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great question, you know? Like, I don't even think that the movie knows what movie it's in sometimes because, like, <laughs> the, the one thing that really tanks it for me is, like, the the female lead, what was her? her Julianne Huff? Uh, the character. She's not rock and roll. Like, she's a pop girl right like she opens her mouth and she sounds like britney spears where she should open her mouth and sound like four non-blondes or something like that and like that's what i'm saying is like there's such a sort of like mishmash not just with like the mashup of the music but also like style and stuff that it gets like so off track it loses itself like all over the place again i mean that's what makes it bad but also on this end that's why i was just like laughing the whole time losing oh, yeah, my no. mind and having like a great time watching it so the other thing that i want to point out to Island's point and this is not meant as a rebuttal because i don't know the artist or the decision behind the art or whatever and i am calling this art so tom cruise took voice lessons for this movie for four and a half months and he rehearsed mm. five hours a day to get his voice ready he did push-ups and ab work he basically transformed himself into a rock star and i think visually whatever you want to say about his performance, the way he plays his character, visually he looks the part. Like, he looks amazing. And Mike, by the way, if your next nine tattoos are not all of the tattoos that he has, (laughs) you're doing something wrong. Like, I want the guns on your hips. I want the the dragons or whatever over the nipples. I want the entire back, like, the whole, like, tramp stamp at the top of his back. Like, all of that needs to be on your body in the next year. Just throwing that out there. The Stacy Jack special. Exactly. <laughs> but the other thing was that he saw it, according to IMDb, and again, who knows if this is true or not, that he was terrified to be in a musical, but saw it as a personal challenge to overcome. And this is me reading wildly deep into this. But I can see him taking this, that he, he, like, he likes the source material or whatever, but then gets in his head so much that he's like, this is something that I'm afraid to do. I want to make sure I do it great. And just the way that he is as an actor, bringing such intensity to everything, maybe that kind of overshadows other elements of the character. And I can see that kind of happening. He's like, I want to make sure I do this right, that people know that I can sing, that they know that I can do this. And if I poke fun at myself, it might cheapen that. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I can kind of see that as like an explanation of why things went this way. It's tough, right? Because like, it's not that he even has a bad voice. But if you look at something like Les Mis, right, where Russell Crowe is just toughening it out, right? Like he's just doing it, right? Yeah, you know, he knows and everything. Like I almost feel like a little bit more self-awareness 
definitely would have gone a long way on his part. I think he might have gotten like Axl Rose syndrome where like he trained he, and be he, spoiler, he did base his performance after Axl Rose and Jim Morrison. <laughs> well, but I don't know if you could see okay. that in the character, but he did well, try to Jim model Morrison. himself after Axl Rose. Absolutely, like the Jim Morrison comes through. But then again, like maybe that's the thing, like he got in his own head in that direction where it's like, look at him in real life. He's such a huge celebrity and star. And now on top of that, you add all of this rock star mentality he's going through. And for some reason, he's trying to be like method this time around. And like that, maybe that got into his head too. It just could like screw with a performance for anybody, really. I also think, and this not doesn't necessarily have to do with Cruise, but maybe, or maybe it does, but over the overall performance, the overall movie is that the musical, the performance, the stage production, whatever, had this, you know, critical praise and cult audience, and it was a hit, and it was popular enough that they wanted to adapt it into a movie, which is how we wind up here, right? And so they offered to John Carney, who directed the film Once, which is a beautiful movie, and Falling Souls is incredible. And he said no, because he said he doesn't really know... No kidding. (laughs) He doesn't know the type of music, and he also didn't want to have a $75 million budget movie. He's like, that's not really for me. And so then they turn to Adam Shankman. Basically, everything about this movie that is different from the play is Adam Shankman saying he wanted to, quote, fix what was wrong (laughs) with the play. Basically what that meant was that he took it from like a kind of a racy R-rated thing into just this PG-13 sort of suitable for most audiences. Like this is the most prim and proper strip club I think you will ever see. Like the first outfit that Julianne Huff comes out on stage when she's officially a stripper as opposed to just a cocktail waitress is adorned in a way that I find it's impossible to strip out of. Like it is closed in like every regard and there's no nudity and everything feels like, look at this seedy underbelly, but we're going to make sure that your 12 year old can see it if she wants to. And it's a weird kind of blend where this should be like when Catherine Zeta Jones is trying to clean up the strip, it should be like just, disgusting everywhere and it feels like yes but like let's not actually show the vomit like let's talk about the vomit but let's not show the vomit and it's a very strange hybrid that he landed on here that's one of the things i was saying earlier right it's toned it's it's washed over so that like yeah so that kids could see it yeah they'd taken rock and roll right and they removed the rock and roll from it you know it's it's mcdonald's now it sucks to hear that this was once like r-rated and went all the way with it because that is definitely what it's missing to make it like a genuinely good, you know, that and, a, you know, a bit of a recast here and there. But like those elements are what's missing from this story, just these stories in general of like, a, you know, the, the whole concept of the girl coming to town and like what would have happened was you would have gotten taken advantage of way earlier in the 80s. That's what the songs are about, right? Or like, well, she literally walks off a bus and gets mugged and loses all of her earthly belongings. Like, it, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to get it taken advantage of more quickly than she does in this movie. Yeah, and then the boy getting taken advantage of with the record company is like, you know, the video Johnny Depp was in, right? These stories require more grit and grime for them to be pulled off correctly. And I think by eliminating that, they cheapened all that around too. So like, even I was getting lost with the plot from time to time. I was like, I just didn't care. I was just like, string me along with the music. Yeah. One more bit of trivia that I want to say about like where this could have gone wrong or where it might have gone wrong or how to maybe fix it. And then I want to hear from Tobin how he would fix it, what he hated about this movie and let him just sort of vent out a lot of his frustrations but chris diorenzio who's the guy who wrote the musical said he was disappointed by the movie that he didn't like the unnecessary story changes poor casting and how glossy everything sounded Mm -hmm. saying it didn't have the quote dirty likability that made the 80s awesome 
And he said that he wants to remake this movie independent style, not in a studio, which I can't see that happening. Like, oh, just make Lord. another movie, man. Like, just do another story. Like, this, I feel like if you make an independent version of this, people are going to be like, well, didn't you, like, that movie was bad. Like, why would you redo it? Like, I feel like this has tainted to certain people, <laughs> maybe to a lot of people. Like, why? I, I get why you want to fix it if you, if someone bastardized the thing that you wrote. But at the same time, just, I guess you got to kind of just move on. Cause he probably made a ton of money doing this. Just kind of like lick your wounds. And move on, I guess. I don't know. Or film or film the stage production live. Yeah. It's funny, Joey, how you're like, you know, nobody liked it. Why would you remake it? And, you know, it seems like all we do are remake movies people liked in the past. But, like, that's the perfect reason to remake I this know, movie. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But, yeah, I say film the stage. Do that. Yeah, yeah pull like a in. Just film yeah. Hamilton and just get it out there in three years or whatever that's coming yeah. out. As if that's the first time that's happened. No, I know. I don't. I, I just don't know. I don't know musicals. I'm. I'm. I'm new to this world, and every time I see one, I'm just like, oh no, I love this. And why did I deprive myself for thirty years? Even cats. <laughs> even cats. Oh, I, I love mean, cats. Cats is the greatest. <laughs> cats was the one I was clinging on to for dear life. Oh my this god. This is this is the level that I'm comfortable at. Cats is. <laughs> mind-blowingly bad <laughs> you can't handle cats <laughs> i also do want to say that there are two versions of this movie and i watched the extended cut there's two hour and 16 minute versus the two hour and three minutes so i don't know what the extra 13 minutes i added but like i'm assuming it was the best stuff <laughs> um okay tobin pull out your laundry list of grievances what did you not like about this movie what are your least favorite parts of rock of ages things that we've talked about things that we haven't talked about just go for it i'm excited to but i think i was trying to get Get in there. Did I hear that right, Aslan? You did. All I wanted to say was if and when you start to talk about gender in this movie, just save a little room for me. Well, we can, I mean, you can, that can be your whole segment. Whatever you want to do here, we will get to that. I already had a segment, so Tobin. Oh, no, we got, we got nothing but time, just like Dominic Coretta <laughs> at the end of Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I will leave the gender aside, although, it, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so curious to hear what Aslan says. There, that was the point at which I went from like being desperately bored with this movie and wanting it to be over to outright loathing it was one particular scene in particular and then it just never recovered i think this movie is pretty terribly conceived shot costumed cast edited and definitely <laughs> directed i think it's pretty abysmal and it it bothers me so much when a movie that is as expensive as this is and 75 million is not a huge budget anymore how many independent or even small studio movies could you make for 75 million dollars the answer is a lot yeah yeah it really it offends me then it offends me that the 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 excess that i'm seeing on screen with no discernible direction or point of view or um reason for being i just i i'm i was offended so that that's that's what offended me about the movie so, so is that if i could just jump in real quick is that like somewhere along the lines of maybe like how i kind of feel about those early transformer movies where i just look at that and i go like the waste or whatever like what of what's on screen and what you could have done for more i think if i could sort of i can relate to you on that level through sort of that way. Exactly. I, I watched the first 20 minutes of the first Transformers movie and have never turned one on again. That same that same reason. And part of it's taste. Part of it's just taste. But And I would never have made it through the credits of this movie if I was, mm-hmm. wasn't watching it for a podcast. I would have shut it off and never looked back. All the things that you're describing, like, oh, a grittier version. Yeah, okay, I, I could see that. A, a version where the characters all knew what movie, movie they were in or where there was a little bit more of a wink to the audience. Yeah, I could see that. And, and maybe it would make it better. 
so, so I was born in 78. The eighties were, I mean, I was, you know, very aware of the, in the eighties, but I, I don't have much nostalgia for the eighties. So that element is there too. Like, it's just not for me. The movie's just not for me anyway. I've, I've never been drawn to see the stage show. And I, as Aislinn knows, I mean, we grew up on musicals. I know mm-hmm. stage musicals and movie musicals of the sort of, you know, the heyday as well as more modern things pretty thoroughly. And there's, there's not a lot of things I wouldn't go see, this is not a show I would see anyway. So I should say that up front. I'm coming in with priors. Like I don't really give a crap about rock of ages to begin with. I did not expect to be so bored. I didn't expect to be such an excruciating experience to watch. I really truly felt bad for all of the performers in the movie. In every scene, I just didn't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing like I say, apart from Mary J. Blige, there is nothing I liked about this movie. Well, I will say that like the biggest sin that a movie can be to me is being boring. And I was not bored here, but like I, if you were bored by this movie, I can absolutely understand why you would hate it because there's nothing worse than feeling like I'm just wasting time. Like if it's what bothered me the most about Joker last year, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but it takes a great performance by Joaquin Phoenix and surrounded by such mediocrity in every other regard that I'm just like, I can't find anything else enjoyable and you wasted that one thing. And then if you take that one thing out, it's just like, oh, there's nothing. It's like, it's not good. It's not bad. Like I can't laugh at it. And it's not new. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like everything in there has been seen before. I'm right there with you. Like if if you're bored by this, by all means, I'm just fine. Mike and I are like, this is not boring to us. This is just like ludicrous to the extreme. Like it's just what is happening. But if you were bored, I totally understand that and get that. I wish that's really what I kind of wish the movie was and what I, why I was really kind of excited to see it was, Oh, this could be like train wreck bad and right. fun to watch crash. And it just wasn't for me. It just ground my soul down in a way that, that was painful. And then it came to the gender stuff, which I'll let Island take the wheel on, which then really, really did, did offend me. Yeah. I want to hear uh, your one scene, put it over the edge for you. The one that did it for me was the number between Stacey Jacks and Malin Ackerman's character, oh, the reporter. God. The first, First one or the second one? I guess the first one, the pool on the pool table yeah. one. I yeah. I don't know. That one came on and I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. this. Oh, I see. Okay, I was done. I I I I moved to loathing in that moment. Yep. Was that the same? Was that? Did you have that feeling too? I mean, yes, but I knew that was coming. The whole thing in in the way that they do any of their relationship agendary stuff is just so tropey and so essentialist. I mean, even from like. Girl off the bus, mm-hmm. which right, again, right. if you're being satirical and you're saying something about that trope, great. If you're just using right. it, there's a moment in 30 Rock, you know, a young woman gets off the bus and is singing like the song from Annie and then turns and says, do you know where a young prostitute can find her way? And like, <laughs> that's the joke, right? It's not a farm girl, right, whatever. Right. They're just such low hanging fruit, if you will, even in the portrayal of how to be a rock star, to be predatory, to be harem-y, to have all these, mm-hmm. this pile of women, like there's nothing new or interesting about that other than it's, you know, it's just gross. I have a lot of trouble with the Alec Baldwin, Russell Brand. Yes. Yes. The gay panic Overall, there's a few other comments that are pretty transphobic. It's not a place I want to be. And it's not, um, and I get it's 2012, it's a few years ago, but that's not enough. I'm just, I was, I was ashamed of them all (laughs) for just playing (laughs) out this trite, archaic bullshit. When if you're going to be an artist and reimagine this part, okay, do it, but don't just 
go for lowest common denominator. Yeah, wink, wink, look, we're gay and we actually like each other. And isn't this funny yeah. with two straight guys playing gay guys being we like- better drink. all that feel to it. Gross. And then like the Catherine Zeta-Jones, it's the oldest terrible story. There's either, you know, the Madonna or the whore. Right, right. And well, right. I tried to be good, but I just couldn't. So give me my studded bra back as if people are all one or all the other. And then saying that, when she was being her conservative self, then she wasn't enough for her husband. Mm -hmm. All yep, of it yep. is just yep. grotesque to me and does nothing to make any sort of positive impact. I, I would argue the opposite, right? Because it's right. not just not positive, but negative because then people watch the movie and, oh, yep. isn't this, oh, ha, 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 look, she's actually like really steamy underneath all her conservative. And it's like, oh, right. oh my God. Oh my God. Like <laughs> The worst thing you can do is be a stripper because sex work is bad. And also that a stripper and a boy band or like equivalent, <laughs> I just can't. And you, you bring up the idea of the, the the trope of the quote unquote girl off the bus, right? And, and there's two ways, right? Like you can, you can take that in sort of satire in the, in the ways that you're describing. You could also take it as like people do show up in cities. Things can be go horribly wrong for people too. And I, I think of um, Mulholland Drive as an example of one that, that so wildly takes diverges that where you have the off the bus, you know, here I am in LA. And then like, just ruined by the end of the movie. And <laughs> there's ways to sort of to, 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 to tackle that, that are, that have any sort of semblance to reality. And this just is not, doesn't even seem to be aware of what it's, of what it's doing. It's just like lowest common mm -hmm. denominator, everything. That's like, yeah. it's a recipe it's a cartoon for of stereotypes. And I think yeah. that's yeah. why, and this does not maybe bode well for our taste, but I think that's why Mike and I love it is because it's like, it's so lazy. Like it's so amazingly yeah underwhelming like and i don't know maybe it's the shock value like i can't believe someone would do this is part of it to me you know and just trying to find the entertainment in it but i'm not i mean i agree uh, and i also feel like none of that stuff even is relevant to this movie like the Catherine zeta jones plotline and all that stuff doesn't even need to be here there are ways like the only thing the guy seemed to do was like take something that might have worked and ruined it uh, for everybody. That's absolutely right. You know, those are problems through and through here. And and the weirder thing is like this is you're right. Made in 2012, trying to depict the 80s. Why not just make it take place in 2012, and then you can change things so that they're not so stereotypical and boring and something we've seen. I don't think that was the problem, honestly. It wasn't. A I mean, I'm not an 80s expert at all. But none of the things that I just complained about are tied specifically to the 80s. I think that I think it's another layer of what's wrong with the movie. One, it doesn't do the 80s very well. And two, it doesn't do justice to People. characters. Yeah. They're not really characters, right? <laughs> I guess they're just... No. I think where I'm coming at with this and why I'm able to turn a blind eye to most of this is that it's such a different look for Cruz. And I feel like as we've gone on in Tom Tom Club, and I keep saying this both on the mic and off the mic, Tom Hanks is a good, I think undeniably a good actor, but he's like he's, he bores me. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's just like, we know what he's going to do. 
the best thing that we can see him do is lose himself so completely in a role that like you forget it's Tom Hanks, like which we saw recently in Castaway. But I feel like in every movie that we watch, we kind of know what we're going to get with Tom Hanks to the point where like even with Road to Perdition, which we just watched last week, he's cast in this role that is so totally against type. And then by the end of the movie, it is still wildly back and like, it's like, oh, this is why you cast Tom Hanks. With that whole track of this dual podcast experiment, we know what we're getting with Tom Hanks in every single movie. With Tom Cruise, there is chaos. And I don't know what to expect. And I feel like this is, for his performance alone, whether whatever it could have been or should have been, or satire or comedy or whatever, nothing that we have seen in the first 32, 33 episodes of this podcast has prepared me for what this was going to be. And I think for oh. that alone, I was like, this is crazy. I Objection. Objection, Your Go Honor. Go for it. Um, <laughs> we talked about Magnolia. That's this character. He he mm-hmm. plays he plays the Magnolia like that satire in, in the hands of a of a brilliant writer and director who knows exactly what he's trying to get out of both Cruz's star power and lunacy the character that he's written and the friction between those two things and this read to me as Tom Cruise saying people really loved me in Magnolia and mm-hmm. I almost got an Oscar nomination so I'm going to play that again. And then he does that same thing here, except in the hands of a different kind of filmmaker with a different kind of movie, and it falls completely in the garbage can. I think we've seen this before. We've just seen it better. I think he's aiming for camp in a way that he hasn't before. Like I think that it's a there's a difference between well, satire I think and Magnolia feels more like the camp. That's part of the point of that role is like he shouldn't be camping it up, but he is. And that's why it worked better. But here that's Joey. I think that's what I'm missing is like, I agree, like it's chaotic, Uh, like it is very over the top and out of control. But I almost wonder if it's if he went a different direction, like it could have been even better. Like it could like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like there's any control, which is, I guess, what I want. But like, don't want? I don't know. Maybe a better way to to phrase it is that I don't know what I'm getting from movie to movie. And I feel like if you go to see the last, like literally the last movie we talked about in this podcast is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is Tom Cruise's maybe best movie of all time. To go from that movie to this movie, like it's such a tonal and absolute whiplash in every regard. It's not that I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect, that I hadn't been prepared for this, because to your point, Tobin, we have seen a version of this, a better version of this, whatever, in Magnolia, and probably in some other things too. But there's something special about the unknown of it all, like going from one to the next and not knowing what kind of thing he's going to do next. And I feel like it's something that we saw with Nicolas Cage too, where he could do any genre. And now Colorado Space and that whole debacle whatever aside sorry mike uh like he's sort of (laughs) falling into a pattern here but like i think Cruz, even now where it's like decidedly like less than stellar like i said ghost protocol maybe the best movie or whatever but like consistently the 80s and 90s like he's making the biggest movies in the world he's the biggest action star in the world like things are different now but i feel like there's still something where you don't know what you're going to get. And I think that's exciting. And I think maybe it wasn't that I didn't know what to, how to prepare for this, but it was just like, I didn't know that he had like that. This, we were ever going to see this and we saw this and it's like, Hmm. Oh my God. Maybe I'm having trouble with the premise of this conversation, (laughs) but I feel like it's apples and oranges to talk about a Tom Cruise vehicle. 
versus a movie that features a performance by Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think of Magnolia as a Tom Cruise movie. I don't think of this as a Tom mm -hmm. Cruise movie. The Mission Impossible series is built around him and his character. Right. Right. He's and the so auteur I, of that series. Yeah. I don't think you can compare the influence or even the, you know what, I, you know what I'm trying to say? No, I like do. And I think that's what, that comes back to the inherent flaw in the way that Mike and I do these podcasts is that we're oh, not watching <laughs> this. No, 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 no. Because no, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> and we get called out a lot yeah. too. So like <laughs> the, we've watched movies that I should have liked that I did not like because I'm watching or vice versa, that I should not have liked, but like this one, but that I loved because, or I loved watching. I don't know if I loved the movie, but I loved watching the movie, which I think is a different thing. We're yeah. watching for the actor in the performance rather than watching as a movie. And so if you're thinking about, like, I thought he was the star sure, of this Sure, but movie. then you're saying, I love, I really enjoyed this movie, or I really like this movie, or here's what this movie does. I watching the movie. Okay. <laughs> the, the way that we're, like, doing it, like, I understand, like, I know that the Mission Impossible movie is a movie that he's a producer on, that he is able to, like, there are things that are crafted around him as an actor, as a performer, as a person, as a character, whatever. That That's his baby. And this, maybe he had influence in the way, oh, actually, I do want to say, uh, the monkey was his monkey. Of course it was. No. I was thinking about the character, and I said, you know what? I need a monkey. Adam Shankman said, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh and I said, I'm God. serious. I need a monkey. When Stacy's not on stage, he's kind of sad. And I thought, this guy has to have a monkey that's his best friend. Adam found this baboon. He sent me the baboon's audition tape. And I said, the baboon's name has got to be Hey Man. Stacy Jacks doesn't work without Heyman. Wow. I thought it just said, like, he, humans won't even surround the, uh, surround themselves with him. Like, he needs to hang out with a, a monkey. And, like, the monkey didn't even really seem to like him too much. I can't believe that. He does have influence over the character and over the movie because sure. the, the monkey is in the movie because of Tom Cruise. But we're still watching these movies in the same way. It's like, how does Tom Cruise perform within the scope of whatever the next movie we're doing like we're not watching it as a movie necessarily like as a movie i don't think this is good i don't know where to rank this like this is to me and mike you brought up the movie before cats like i don't know how to rank these movies on lists of other movies because i feel like it is so distinctly its own thing in good and bad ways mostly bad ways whatever i don't know how to compare them and yet that's where we're at that's how we do the podcast and i feel in that context I loved watching this movie. I know that it doesn't quite make sense or add up, but that's the best way that I can describe it. Well, I came with, here is my experience of Tom Cruise, and here's my experience with this movie. You know what I mean? As two separate things. Absolutely. I happen to intensely dislike both. I was prepared to talk one or the other, and it just seems like waters are muddied, but if that's okay, then that's great. Yeah. Everything's okay. Okay, everything's great. Everything's <laughs> great. It's tough. I feel like we, we kind of ran into this problem, I think, with like Keanu along the way, where he stopped being the lead, or quite frankly, was hardly ever the lead of his own movies that mm -hmm. he was in, you know? And like, that's hard to really do a show about when the movie isn't their movie, per se. And I think this movie at times wants you to take Tom Cruise's character as the lead character, but he shows mm -hmm. up a half an hour late. And as soon as they establish him, like they cut away and they go into the other storylines. Like there's just not enough room for everything here. You know, if you want to make it a Tom Cruise movie, there's a lot you have to do. But yeah, it, it's I think it's Tom hard. Cruise wanted it to be about Stacey Jacks, but I think yeah. the story is meant to be about <laughs> Sherry there, and Drew, yeah. which is not a lot better. Which is weird because we didn't find this with other times that he sort of toned himself down, or not toned himself down, but didn't have as much screen time. I'll just say that. Like uh -huh. when he didn't have as uh -huh. much screen time, he's not doing stuff like trying to take over the movie. Now. And I think that's when you, you mentioned Keanu, like when Keanu sort of receded to the background of these movies, like the movies 
he was doing were like inherently more interesting, like movies mm-hmm. like The Bad Batch and movies like The Neon Demon, where he's not the star, but he's able to like give it his all in the 10 or 15 minutes he's on screen. You're like, holy shit, like what is happening? And here, you know, like we talked about with Michael and we talked about Lions for Lambs. Lions for no, Lambs. When we talked about Lions for Lambs. There's such a delicate balance in that movie between the three stories that like you want more of each but you're not feeling overwhelmed that it's not taking away like that works i think in that regard and I, it does feel like he's in a different movie but i think that's kind of like the perverse joy that i like about this because it's like i want more of him but like it like it almost would make sense if he's not in the movie at all oh mm-hmm. yeah no it's what it contributes to it being more broken for sure absolutely <laughs> like <laughs> that, that's it therein lies my joy of it <laughs> <laughs> two quick things one on the Keanu smaller roles, that kind of thing. This is not as bad as Generation Um dot dot dot, oh, which God. we watched okay, for. Cool. We found the, a thank Keanu. you. Yeah. All right. Cool. So just to put that out there, the second is that, and this is not unique to Cruz or a new thought, but looking at his filmography, especially after he kind of became super super famous it, it seems like his performances depend a lot on the director in some, some degree the material that the that the person's working with either because the director knows exactly what to do with Cruz, which it feels like somebody like doug lyman in edge of tomorrow or the or american made knows how to use Cruz. christopher mcquarrie is the same thing i'm not sure that he's you know he's not a kubrick necessarily but he knows exactly i think what to do with Cruz. nobody was able to wrangle him in in this you know and maybe it's true I guess for this, I'm saying this for all the performances, like just sort of misguided from the beginning. But I think Eisen's totally right. It seems to me like he wants it to be, and maybe every actor does this. They they act as though they are the hero of their own movies and they're just moving through this other story. But the film seems to sort of sidetrack with him as well. And I just don't think that there's enough vision behind it to make that work as part of a whole film. I think when you have him in this part. It's like, how do you not show him as much as you possibly can, right? Because like he's that's a, he's a whole other movie. Like it's almost a distraction. Like right. What I was saying just earlier about part of the miscasting. Like I love him in this and whatever, but like he doesn't belong here. Right. Like, this is not the time. Yeah. You know, this is not the movie. Like he needs to go do like a fictional biopic about a rock star that never made it or whatever, and you know, or over the hill or whatever. Even like to that point, like in the closing credits, have the Stacy Jack story. Like have like a six minute like documentary series, right? Which is like you never actually see him in the movie. You just see like his back, or you see him on stage coming off stage or whatever. And like you just like it's like the legend, right? And you cut out twenty five minutes in the movie, and then you have like six minutes, like the greatest short film that's ever been made, where Tom Cruise is yeah. like over the top as the this like crazy rocker and he's able to go balls to the wall for six minutes. It's like, Oh my God, I want more of that. I think fans of the musical would be upset with that because my understanding of the live version is that it is fun. And when he stumbles in late or, well, I told him the concert was yesterday. So that's why we're, he thinks he's being cool and late, but he's really on time. Wink, wink or whatever. And he stumbles in half drunk and this and that, like, it can be funny because then the audience gets involved and he acts like a rock star on stage mm. and the audience of the musical yes, is right, a player right. in that. And so we lose that in the film version. I think it loses some charm. I, I don't know what it would look like to have Tom Cruise in the play version, if it would have charm or not. But I think that's part of it and 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 why, sure, make a different movie. But I, I don't think this movie without Stacey Jacks would be, you know, it's meant to, it's meant to be fun. It just... If a rock star, if there's going to be a rock star misbehaving, I want it to be fun, and and it wasn't fun. I didn't want to hang out with him. It reminds me a little bit as you're describing the Island of uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Which, oh, just like uh, yes. 
Thank amazing, you. Which I also, yeah. I think works better by far on stage than it does mm-hmm. in a movie for the exact reason that you've just crystallized or even um, uh, the beauty school dropout sequence in um, yes. Greece, which, you know, which, which does work pr- actually pretty well in the movie. Yeah. My least favorite. Well, I was going to say it's my least favorite scene in the movie, but yeah, is often really fun live. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. And, and then that, that person gets to be kind of the cameo. It becomes a cameo yes. part. For somebody, as opposed to like, and that's what Stacy Jacks is, right? So right. when when right. you're Bo Bice, other right. I, other mid top ten idols whose names I don't remember. Right. What was that one I really liked for a minute? Constantine, somebody Daughtry. or other. No, well, yes, oh. Constantine Morales is in it, but I, I was thinking of Daughtry. That's where it's fun to see, and the audience is clapping for the stunt casting, right? Right, right, right and right, then right. we are all at a concert together. I didn't have right. that we are, here. We are the, right, right, right. You're so right. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That we're recording this, right? You are. I can, I can isolate <laughs> that and send that to you if you want to subject your ringtone or something. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I think where I'm able to come at this in such a innocent and pure way, and I don't know if that's the right word or not, is because like I'm such an uncultured swine that I don't really have history with musicals, whoa, and so whoa. I don't have this like what it could be on stage, like on Broadway or wherever. And so everything that I've seen is basically in film. And so I don't have this like, oh, I can imagine what it's like better on stage because I don't have that reference point. Mm. And so where you were raised in a musical household and you have like the ideas of like how things could or should be great. And like you have thoughts like educated, well-versed, you know, intelligent ideas about things better in one medium versus the other. I'm just like, oh yeah, this is good. And I feel like my lack of knowledge there lets me like this more possibly like i grew up being taken to musicals and plays and things and you know i saw book of mormon i saw jersey boys like i I, there's definitely there are two different mediums entirely and i think that's Mm -hmm. the thing you're never going to translate one clear to the other joey like you and i have talked and you've seen tons of rock operas i mean you're no you're no stranger to the the apple xanadu you know i've seen those once i don't remember them like i don't cats i know but i'm just saying like (laughs) You know sort of how out of control, over the top, and bad they genuinely are, and like why I thought like that's why we liked them, or that's at least why I love them, you know, like Repo the Genetic Opera, no one's watching that because they love it or anything, but you watch that movie and it's just like, whoa, look what people can like accomplish with film. Like there is just sort of an awe to the genre in general when it comes to movies that I don't think anyone's ever gotten it right, really, like from Hair to Jesus Christ Superstar, like they're all crazy out of control, even like Rocky Horror in The Wiz, which are like some of my favorites, like there's still insane moments in these things that are like, what is happening and what is going on? And so like, I don't feel like you really need to be sort of cultured with the stage necessarily if you've seen stuff in this genre of film. I, I thought that was sort of part of the reason why you found this so sort of charming and, and we're into it. It was because you like, I don't know, enjoy it on those levels. But. Maybe. I mean, I just, there's something extreme about this in ways that I haven't seen often, if ever, right? Like, and not that it's a one of a kind movie, but it's like, there's something here that is different from most things, right? Like, I don't think so. I think it's super pedestrian, honestly. Again, this then it comes back to what the way that we're watching this movie, and I think it's the, the cruise element of it all. And even if we've seen that before, it's like in a field of 34 movies that we've watched, 
there are not mm. many examples of this. And I think that's where I'm looking at it from. Yeah, it's the only example of this. Like, I would wager, Joey, like, from the beginning, we were, like, kind of, like, blindsided by how good the movies Tom Cruise was in from yeah. the start, you yeah. know? And, like, consistently, like, wow, like, this is... And then this, like, comes along. Uh, <laughs> it's... It is shocking, you know what I mean? Like, we really haven't seen anything like this before on every level, so I'm with you on that. We have eight more movies to cover until whenever Mission Impossible and Top Gun 2 come out, like whenever coronavirus allows movies to be released again, right? So we have eight more movies. Seven of those, the only exception is maybe The Mummy, but The Mummy is also kind of... Seven, at least of the eight, are just like Tom Cruise movies. Like, there's two Mission Impossibles, there's two Jack Reachers, there's Edge of Tomorrow, there's Oblivion. Like, there's movies that, like, an American made. Like, these are the movies that are, like, they're Tom Cruise things. And I feel like this is also special, and special might be the wrong word, in that, like, it's the last time we're ever going to have a movie that's not a Tom Cruise movie, if that makes sense. Like, this is the the last, like, this is the end of the Hank's Golden Mile that we've been talking about. This is, like, everything else from here on out. I mean, there's great movies. Like, Edge of Tomorrow might be his best movie. The the next two Mission Impossible movies are incredible. American Made is great. Like, there's movies here that we're going to get to that I love, but there's something special, that's the only word I can think of, about this because it's not what we're about to like it's not what we've gotten and it's not what we're about to get yeah i think he might have learned a lesson maybe like if he <laughs> like someone probably told him you know like time to stop experimenting like go back to what you're used to and that's I why get we're it. getting you know he's going back to the try and it's tried and true and it's fine and that's good like he went away he tried to do something else and a lot of actors never recover from that they keep pushing it and pushing it or whatever and then you know you just one day you wake up and they're gone or whatever you know before he committed complete and total like pariah level whatever can't hire him again he you know was like i gotta get back on track no more of this like messing around tobin island do you have any more thoughts before we play a couple quick games and wrap up i would love a game well it's not really games they're more questions but they're not they're not island level games i don't want to get you too excited they're not you know (laughs) make sex jokes out of uh, putting on a sweater at old navy but i'll hold my excitement Thank you. There's a couple other quick bits of things that I want to make note of here. One thing I was disappointed in this movie by is I was hoping we're going to get like a Spinal Tap-esque where we like know all of Arsenal's albums. And as far as I know, we only know one and it was called Stick Meat. I wanted to get more. Like I wanted to have like a history of Arsenal. I know that's not what this movie is about, but I was hoping we were going to get like, <laughs> like, oh, his first album was Stick Meat. And I was like, okay, and what's the second one? But no, there's just the one. So that was disappointing. Will Forte as a TV reporter with a great mustache <laughs> is great. <laughs> Eli Roth as the music video director oh, yeah. is inspired casting. Boo. You didn't like that? <laughs> I don't like him. Well, go watch Knock Knock. Thank us later. Actually, don't watch Knock Knock. No, Actually, no, I watch the, ho- the house with a clock in its wall. I think he found his calling with children's films because that's a good one. I actually have been have been curious about that. Yeah. It's the ego. I have trouble seeing past the ego. <laughs> Try and focus on the Jack Black in that movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> should have okay. been in this movie. Why wasn't Tenacious? Or the Kate Blanchett, right? That yeah. too, yes. Mike, yes, why do you great. want Jack Black in every movie? I've just been watching a lot of Jack Black YouTube <laughs> whole thing ever since it started. I mean, Mike texted me really... today. He's like, he's like, I really liked Onward, but I wish Jack Black was in it. And now he's saying he wishes Jack Black was in this too. Like, Because these are like rock and metal metal related you know and like he's all and that's like his persona and the d and everything and i don't know he's been putting a smile on my face yeah i totally agree i think jack black or nicholas cage as stacy jacks would have been a big step 
big step forward. We're not progressive or regressive here in terms of that. So let's hold off on that. Mike, what was your last? <laughs> what was your last comment? What was your last note? Okay, Joey. So this blew my mind. Like I could not believe what I was hearing. Tom Cruise goes to talk to Alec Baldwin about putting on a show, and after it, he's like, after we're done, we're gonna burn it to the ground. Oh. And he keeps talking about setting the place on Billy fire. Billy the arsonist. And committing arson. And it took me all the way back to his very, very, very first performance on screen in Endless Love, where yes. he gives the lead character the idea to burn his girlfriend's house down. Which he does. Yeah, I don't know if you two have seen that. I would not recommend watching it for the basically the, the reasons we love this movie. Uh, are, and the reasons you hate this movie is why you should not watch Endless Love. In Endless Love, in Tom Cruise's first movie, he literally runs on screen, giggles his way through 45 seconds of talking about how he loves setting fire to things, and then leaves, and then the main character sets his girlfriend's house on fire. The arson streak runs deep in Tom Cruise's filmography. Nice catch, Mike. Yeah, couldn't believe it. So that's all I got. <laughs> all right. So now the first question that I have, and I don't know the answer to this, does Tom Cruise run in this movie oh i don't think so yeah i don't think so it's hard to run mm -hmm. with that amount of posturing <laughs> swagger or blood alcohol level. what he does do yeah or cod piece like how do you oh, got well, yeah that number Valid one point. but number two he does a little bit of like stripper pole stripper work in this like acrobatics and i was like oh man wow yeah he's he, he's he's no very, that's different like, skill set Oh, absolutely. But I was just like, we have not we have not talked about that yet. We've been talking for more than an hour, and we have not talked about him as a stripper for a minute before he and Julianne Huff decide we don't want to have sex with each other. The other question, the other very important question that we have is that we found someone on Twitter named Harperfect who said, you can replace Tom Cruise's name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. Do you think... <laughs> Lightning McQueen, the lead singer, the, the rock star of Arsenal, does that work in this movie? Yes, absolutely. Totally. This might be the most slam dunk we have, Mike. Yeah, I almost wonder if this was the movie Hard Perfect was watching when they came up with that question. A Cars Rock of Ages double feature? That sounds great. The final thing we have to do is nominate this movie for some awards. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, Tobin and Eisen, but we have removed the worst movie category because there just weren't enough nominees. But Mike, what I will <laughs> nominate this for to make them kind of happy is I'm going to put this in best of the worst, most fun, bad film. Yes, we did add that category. Because we have three nominees there so far. We have Cocktail, we have Endless Love, and we have Rock of Ages. Three movies that I know I should not love, yet three movies that I love. It's amazing. Love is how such a strong word, man. It's just crazy how they're all on the same level too. Like they should not be liked for all the same reasons. <laughs> and yet, I don't. I can't help it. Like Tobin, the world is falling apart. If something brings me joy, even if it is objectively poorly made. I think it's a good thing. No, you're right. You're right. As much joy as, as we can have, I, I agree with that completely. Everybody go watch 20th Century Women on Netflix. And I was also saying, you know, you liked this. You you commended me on Twitter. But like, instead of putting this movie on this morning, I watch it tonight, I uh, put on Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I was like, oh, it's, it's nice yeah. to see a well-made, <laughs> well-constructed, well-acted, well-edited, well-shot, well-scored, well-paced movie. You're talking about Bad Boys for Life? Oh, I'm bad sorry. Boys <laughs> <laughs> best cruise role. Do we? Or no, best. Oh, we got to do best cruise supporting role because it's not. He's not the lead here, but best cruise right. supporting role. Stacy Jacks for sure, right? I mean, who else does he play? Is that? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm getting loopy tonight. I mean, yes. For me, I got to yeah. Most badass role? No? No. No. Most, most daring role to take? Maybe yes, because he's never sung really. I mean, he's sung a little bit in Magnolia. Yeah, but not, not features like this. No, I don't think it's too daring because I feel like he was so down for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even though he'd never done it before, like, it's playing or at least he's playing up a lot of his own strengths, it seems. Like, he just seems really comfortable doing whatever he's doing, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> and Joey, you know what else came to mind, too? Like, I almost expected him to have a better voice. Like, early on, and I guess maybe it was when we were doing Cage, or maybe it was oh, my theory. Know, one of those. But yeah, you have a great theory where I was like, hey, man, like, that person has, like, an amazing voice. And you're like, yeah, he's an actor, or she's an yeah. actress. Like, they're supposed to be, like, a triple threat or whatever, trained, no. you know? No, but my, my point is not that they should be necessarily, but I'm never surprised, because I feel that like it. if that you have grown up wanting to be an actor, you're probably going to try to well-round yourself in sure. playing an instrument and singing and dancing. And so I'm pleasantly surprised, but I'm never actually surprised when I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I just assume that everyone can sing or dance or something. This brings up one little pet peeve of mine. Tom Cruise studied, right? Or mm-hmm. whatever, had a voice to this and that. Alternatively, they could have hired someone who has a great voice and makes money singing. And this bothers me in all musical adaptations, film adaptations of, of musicals. Particularly, it was so prominent in um, Les Mis that was mentioned earlier already. There are people who do this on Broadway all the time. Rami Malek lip syncing and stuff is what I was thinking. Right. That Yeah, that that too. I think, you know, and this is something that Kara has talked about a lot before. Kara Gaylor Regan has talked about, about disabled actors and like, you know, the movie Skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson where he's missing a leg. And it's like, well, why can't you cast an actor that's actually missing a leg? And like, I get that and I agree. But at the same time, you're trying to make money, and if you cast Tom Cruise in your movie, you're going to literally make millions and millions of dollars more sure. just because someone is going to go see that movie. So I understand yeah. and I agree that if you can cast someone who can really truly sing and be a rock star and be funny and whatever, cool. But they're not Tom Cruise. Sure. I want to let's. I just want to be very clear that that's not the same representation argument, race and ethnicity or disability status. This it's it's a different conversation. It's more like idealized casting. That's sort of where I'm lumping it in, right? Like, why can't we have the best version of everything and all things? Right. No. Yeah. I think no. Business. I think. uh, Yeah. I think it's yes. I agree. I understand why. I know you understand why. I'm frustrated by it. Thank you. I'm frustrated by it because I know there are so many people who have worked so hard at that craft that could do that part like you say with all the talent and charisma and humor and whatever but we get a tom cruise and and you're right it's a stunt cast and so that that one bothers me less but could we surround them with other people right does it have to be melon ackerman and russell brand and alec baldwin and you know like all these yeah movie stars it's all stunt cast yeah it's all stunt cast and so that it just i think that's part of what bothers me a lot is i just feel like this movie is a film without integrity yeah that's for sure here here (laughs) but but it's funny because i was thinking throughout this i was like where's like where's like d schneider like where's eddie vetter like there's real People oh, they would not be it. in this movie. No, no, but I'm, I mean, just not this version of the movie. But I mean, there are rock cameos in this movie. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if you there, I'm just saying, like, I think you could stunt cast the Stacey Jacks role with someone like there's got to be like a lead singer out there, you know, like at the time, Chris Cornell or something. I know, rest in peace now, but Adam just no one else is really, yeah, like there are people that could do that that have 
the voice, have the lifestyle to draw from and stuff. Oh, I do want to say, though, in terms of stunt casting, so Julianne Huff obviously was cast in that role, but that role was considered, uh, or Taylor Swift was considered for that role. Well, there you go, right? Because, I mean... I, I do think Julianne Huff is like probably the best star best part of the movie is she or is it just because i have a crush on her it might be that i mean i i think she's perfectly fine in it yeah. and but I, you're also talking to someone who enjoyed her performance in the footloose remake so <laughs> i'm probably not the right person <laughs> i love a dance movie there. too there's nothing wrong with that i just yeah anyway and then the role of constance which is the uh mullen ackerman role Anne hathaway and amy adams were both offered that role again huge movie stars but they were both filming superhero movies at the time i can still i can think i can still hear if you, if, you, if you close your eyes you can hear amy adams laughing at being offered that role yep that someone someone would think she would take that role you say that as she's filming batman vs superman yeah well, but she was enchanted yeah, to be fair, right like yeah. i hear I, when i think of her singing i think of you know her in that princess dress i guess i don't know i don't I mean, and then when i think of anne hathaway i can't get lay Miz out of my head you know so i would not be able right. to also voice. considered for that part were gwyneth paltrow who i guess was probably in the middle of all the iron man movies and olivia wilde who i guess would go on to be in vinyl which is sort of this oh. show or this movie in a show kind of without the music without the singing right it's got the music yeah right, right. again yeah. apples and oranges friends back to the awards well actually mike i have a, i have a possible name for the tom cruise awards oh finally what about the iron men hmm Oh, I thought you were going to like it more than that. I guess it's not. We've got to throw that one out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because isn't like the Iron Man race, like, isn't that like a really super long race? Or oh, it's like a, yeah. I guess long this just, triathlon. You just mentioned Marvel. I thought of actual Iron Man. And so like, it yeah, like, maybe we'll stare. Okay. Although that's he fine. was, con- he was considered to play Tony Stark. Best fight. Does he, there's no, is there a fight that he has? In this? I mean, it's verbal fights. He doesn't actually get into a fist fight. Cause I don't think he could beat anybody. I think he's probably the weakest person no. in this entire movie in terms of. This movie's definitely missing murder though. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, true. Who has done I don't know, this? This, mur- this movie murdered my soul. So. <laughs> it is a murder scene. Yes, I'm sorry, I forgot. Best theme song soundtrack score. Yes. Well, I I have a legitimate gripe with these mashups. Like as a, and I'm not trying to pull like I, I was a DJ card or anything like that. But as someone who used to blend music, this kind of bugged the shit out of me. To be quite honest, like it was the one thing about it where I was just like, sing the real song. Like stop mashing these up and crossing these over and all this kind of stuff it like i really didn't that's like a genuine thing i think i didn't like about this movie to be honest. The, not not the actual song selection but the way and how it was presented so yes or no i can't i can't <laughs> gauge what that answer means i think i'm coming down on no okay because they make the songs i like worse i also do think that like there's something to be said about them all being the most obvious song choices, right? I mean, yeah. it's the Glee era of mashups mm. as well. Oh, right. right. Mm. I never watched Glee, but now it makes perfect sense. I will say in regards to Glee, that just reminded me is that on Letterboxd, this does not have a very flattering overall rating. It's like in the twos somewhere, high twos. But the <laughs> most popular reviews are all very positive reviews. So I think that the people who love this movie are very zealous about it and that they all like come out in droves but i think the masses generally don't like it if that makes sense and somebody on one of the most popular things said like basically this is a two-hour version of glee but like better than glee Hmm. take that for what it's worth i've never seen a minute of glee i do not know best vehicle chase slash race no best dance scene Tom Cruise on the stripper pole? I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see that again. Tom Cruise stripping. <laughs> Tom Cruise <laughs> on a stripper pole. I hope I never see that again. <laughs> I know the gift I'm making tonight. No, I'm just no. <laughs> <laughs> Best Cruise outfit wardrobe. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right? Rock star Stacy Jacks. Yeah, I, I have <laughs> For I, the tattoos alone, agree. right? Best sunglasses. I mean he is I mean they're not the best, but no. he is wearing sunglasses. So I think that was a that's another thing we're keeping track it's of. Pretty good use of sunglasses. Right. Best statue does not die, which I also I, what if Stacy Jacks was murdered? Like what that combines Ooh, the now two we're things. Talking. Yeah, and then it was like uh like an overdose, like people thought he was overdosed, but then the other kid had to find the real murderer and it turned out to be Paul Giamatti and he'd been doing this for years <laughs> to like all of his stars. Best line or best freakout? Is there something that Tom Cruise says that we want to nominate for best line or best freakout? Does he ever really like do a full-fledged freakout? It's mostly all sedated. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty low-key, right? Yeah. The things that are like the, the good character moments, and you can dispute that if you don't think they're good character moments, is like the way that he interacts, like him being the pompous rock star asshole when he's when all Malin Ackerman is trying to do is get the interview, him like speaking to them, like they're not like what he's saying is not memorable, but it's like the way that he's doing it is what I think is enjoyable. Yeah, there's I don't think there are any lines. I mean, nothing anybody's going to remember from this movie, right? I'm looking on uh, IMDb right now. Uh, Stacy Jacks waves empty bottle to his pet baboon. Hey man, hey man, scotch me, which might be the pull quote for this episode, but I don't think it's going to be nominated for best line. So, okay, that's fair enough. Although, wait, I just got to say though, although I did not expect his sort of like showcase song to be Cowboy from the Young Guns 2 soundtrack by John Bon Jovi. <laughs> One that are alive, blew, yeah. Blew my mind. That's more 90s, I thought, but maybe right on the cusp. I also felt like a lot of this music came out after it took place, but uh, whatever. Okay. We're at the end of the show now, so. I've sadly only ever heard that song as a cheesy cover. So like, you know what I mean? I don't have, yeah. it doesn't have gravitas for me. It's, it's just like a karaoke song. That's okay. crazy. Yeah. Cause like young me played the young guns Two soundtrack to death. It was like all music inspired by the movie written and performed by <laughs> Bon Jovi. And this was like, I guess a solo <laughs> album. I don't know. I was a, like a nine year old. So <laughs> hey, man, New Jersey's finest. It was great. Best sex scene. No, no, no. Most athletic feet. Or do we want do we want to move him on a stripper pole to that? That might be a good call because it's not like he performs like a dance sequence on the pole, right? It's just All sort right. of like a couple moves. Best running scene is not run. Best or worst love story. He does not really have a love story. I mean, they they try to force one in, but it's more of a lust story than a love story, and it's not well done. She is shown to be pregnant in Malin Ackerman at the end of the movie. Oh, I watching. missed that. Is she really? She's, she's yes, pointing she at the baby bump. at him. I missed that. Yes, she <laughs> points it out. Look at my belly, everybody, just in case you were going to miss it. I was just crying tears of joy. I guess I didn't see it through the uh, my, my pure <laughs> overwhelming bliss here. Best ensemble cast or best non-cruise actor, male or female? Is there anybody in here that we want to nominate? Oh, okay. I don't think. Fair enough. So. <laughs> hey, man, the monkey? Not a human. Oh. I think we got into this uh, in a previous episode where we wanted to nominate Wilson the volleyball, but he's an inanimate object. Yeah, but at least like Heyman emotes. No, I don't think he really does. Okay. I think he's used as a prop. Yeah, he's a prop. He's a joke. Yeah, he's not. He just a happens to have a pulse. But I am shocked <laughs> that it wasn't completely CGI. I, that it's amazing to me that every shot of that monkey is real because I would yeah, have thought pr- for sure they used. Monkeys. I thought for sure they used some as a reference, but in you know they nowadays they. I thought that they knew better that they now they could make CGI anything they want animal that they would do that. It's safer. yeah, Andy Circus wouldn't come in. For this one, so they had to... He turned it down. Practical Monkey is a better band name than Arsenal, so I think that they should have taken that, <laughs> that line that Tobin just said and made the band name 
Practical Monkey. We got four nominees here. Best of the Worst, Most Fun, Bad Film, Best Cruise Supporting Role, Best Cruise Outfit and Wardrobe, Most Athletic Feet. So I think even if you hate this movie, which two of us did, I think those are pretty fair, good nominations. So, all right. So, Mike, next week, next or not next week. Well, actually, hold on. Next week over on Hanks the Memories, we've got a film that is a a slightly different caliber, a slightly different quality than this one. I will not say whether it's better or worse, uh, but it is a a film called Catch Me If You Can. (laughs) um, Instead of a movie based on a musical, it's a movie that later had a musical based on it. Is it really? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Is it was the musical called Catch Me If You Can? It is called Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. fascinating all right and then in two weeks we have the first of two and only two because the series has ended jack reacher films going from action cruise and mission impossible to whatever's going on here back to action cruise in jack reacher with also Werner herzog so we got the paul f tompkins at the beginning the juking box musical we've got the paul f tompkins at the end with the Werner herzog Thank you, PFT. Nice little bookend. And thank you to the Island and Tobin team, the Addington siblings. Thank you both for joining us and venting your frustrations about this movie. <laughs> Uh, thank you for joining us. If you two want to speak about your podcast, your monthly The Contenders, which this month, as this episode comes out, you'll be talking about, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, Widows. That's right. Uh, we made an attempt to record an episode about Widows, had a great time doing it. It's a wonderful movie. And then all kinds of technical difficulties ruined our, our recording. And so we are going to have that conversation again, or maybe even a better conversation. I'm worried that my sincere attraction to Cynthia Erivo is going to come off practiced now because I've gushed about it at least once. Mm. I think all you all you need to do is watch it again right before we record. And That's true. Just you're come, right. You're right. It'll, again, all, right? Come, it'll yeah. all come back to me now. Yeah, yeah. But for all things Cruise Club and the Contenders and all 27 shows in the network, including our newest show, Hard to Believe, which is now every other Wednesday, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run, R-U-N, at cageclub.me. Come back next week on our Hanks for the Memories feed or catch me if you can. Come back in two weeks right here for Jack Reacher in all 34 or whatever episodes of Cruise Club in the Vault. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Island Addington and Tobin Addington of the Contenders. And we'll see you next time right here on Cruise Club. Like a